If you would, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. As you're doing that, today is Sunday. Who said it? Did you say it? Mother's Day. Mother's Day. Uh, Mother's Day uh, deserves a sermon in and of itself, as you, many of you know, and if you've been here for at least 365 days, you know that I'm going to go off on this day, and I always do, and it's because it is a huge deal. Mothering is a great ministry. It's not the only ministry, but it's a great ministry, and I'm passionate about it uh, because I'm married to one. I was birthed by one. I have a daughter who's one. And uh, I think it's probably, arguably, the most undervalued job in our world today and in our culture today. And I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of things that... um, I read a book years ago uh, about just sort of the different values that different people place on things and, and, and all of that. And, I, and it just always made me think that I think when we get to heaven, we're going to see like the value that God places on things and how it relates to the value that we place on things, right? It's almost like you could probably go to heaven and like pick up a Ferrari in the junkyard, Right? But the value of, of motherhood, when we get to heaven, we're going to realize what God thought of it all along. And we would do well to regard it as that. And the way we do that is we encourage the mothers in our lives, right? Uh, we affirm them in their roles, um, Proverbs 31, speaking of the, you know, not just mothers, but women in general, right? Um, says, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. And he praises her. And it's okay for us to praise uh, the, the mothers in our lives. And so, uh, again, I, I just can't say it enough. Uh, God bless you, mothers, because it's a thankless job oftentimes. And uh, it's a devalued job, I'm sorry to say, in our society. And, uh, and for what encouragement it is, I can just tell you, God highly values it. So, mothers? And now my kids are all saying... Wow, you made it. <laughs> All right, First Thessalonians chapter 3. Today, we carry on with a theme that we started last week. So if you were here last week, you are accountable for the following information. If you weren't here last week, you can breathe a sigh of relief because those who were here last week will teach you what you missed out on last week. And that is this. If you are a Christian... People who were here last week tell the people who weren't here last week. If you are a Christian, you are therefore a... 
take me one step at a time for the dramatic effect. Come on. You're a, starts with an M. You're a minister. Are you a part-time minister or a full-time minister? Wait a minute. Doesn't it depend on where you get your paycheck from? It doesn't. Because you're a full-time minister, right? If you're a mother, are you in full-time ministry? If you're a pastor, are you in full-time ministry? What if you're a part-time pastor? Or a tent-making pastor? Are you a full-time minister? Yes. Yes. If you work a secular job, are you a full-time minister? Yes. If you don't work a secular job, are you a full-time minister? Yes. Does everybody get the point? Yes. Good. Should I stop? Yes. Yes. (laughs) I hate that term. full-time ministry. I hate it. I think we ought to abolish it because it implies there's a part-time ministry and there's not, right? And so today what I'm doing, I'm teaching the Bible. Is that ministry? Right? This afternoon I'm going to go home and hang out with my wife and kids and grandkids. Is that ministry? Probably play uh, probably somewhere along the line about uh, f- probably between 3 and 4 o'clock, depending on how much energy has been expended outside. There's probably going to be a kid, I think a 7-year-old or a f- yeah, seven year old 5? I feel like she's the catcher and I'm the pitcher. 7? Seven? 7-year-old seven kid is going to say, Papa. He's going to say two words. Papa. Euchre? And I'm going to say, that's what I'm talking about. And we're going to play euchre. Is that ministry? Yes. Absolutely. You know, the great theologian Barney Fife once said, (laughs) when is a lawman ever off duty, right? When is a Christian ever not a minister, right? So today, we carry that theme into 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, now I'm going to tell you also something uh, today. I'm not going to give you an ounce of of new great theological insight, okay? What I'm going to give you are simple, very simple principles of ministry, right? And now that you know that you're a full-time minister, you'll say, oh, those principles apply to me because I'm a minister, right? So here we go. Therefore, When we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Sounds like we need some context, right? 
So we've been talking about this. You know, this, uh, this church in Thessalonica, Thessalonica was established on Paul's second missionary journey. We'll read about that in uh, Acts chapter 16 and 17. And um, you know that they went to Philippi, where they were unjustly accused of all kinds of crazy stuff, wind up in jail. Uh, there's an earthquake. They're miraculously released from, from prison, finally leave town, go to Thessalonica. They're in Thessalonica for how long? This is important into the context. How long were they in Thessalonica? Three weeks. Three weeks. You establish a church in three weeks. Is that possible? If the Lord's doing it, anything's possible, right? But you probably don't go to seminary and learn how to start a church in three weeks, right? So they did. And then there was a ruckus in town, as there's always a ruckus. And they skedaddle out of town. They go to Berea. They're in Berea for a brief time. They skedaddle out of town and go to Athens. At Athens... By the time Paul gets to Athens, he's concerned about how these guys in Thessalonica are doing because they were only there for three weeks, right? Paul has a concern for their spiritual well-being. He was only there for three weeks. So he sends Timothy, and, and the narrative is a little bit, uh, it's not sure if he, went, if he sends Silas with him or not, but anyway, uh, probably Timothy and Silas because the context in Acts acts like Paul's by himself there in Athens. So anyway, but at least we know Timothy went back to Thessalonica while Paul's in Athens to find out how they're doing. That was a genuine question on Paul's heart. And then they're going to meet up later in Corinth. And so that's the, that's the setting here. And Paul sends Timothy. Notice the adjectives for Timothy. Therefore, when we thought it'd be good to, when we thought it good to be left in Athens alone, we sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. You see the adjectives for Timothy? Brother, minister, fellow laborer. Those are adjectives. The, you know, an adjective is an interesting thing. An adjective really kind of defines an identity. Is that fair? I'm a victim. That could be an adjective, right? Well, victim is a noun. But if I'm a victimized person, how's that? That's an adjective, okay? That makes me, that kind of takes on an identity if I say that, right? And we have adjectives that we use to define us sometimes, right? What adjectives define you? Or what nouns, what, dis, what, what descriptive words, not to get hung up on the grammar, what descriptive words describe you? Well, you learned one so far. What's one word that describes you? Minister. You're a minister, right? And so we all carry these sort of labels, if you will. And we've got to be very careful which labels we stick on ourselves or allow others to stick on us. Does that make sense? These labels have to be biblical. My wife's been reading a book about this lately, and uh, she's pretty stoked about it. I'll warn you. What usually happens when my wife gets stoked about a book? Huh? You get it. That's right. That's right. 
<laughs> They've been ordered. <laughs> the books have been ordered. <laughs> right? It's about the labels that we wear. Right? Timothy wears the label brother, minister, fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. Let me just say those are good labels to wear. So Paul sends Timothy, this faithful guy, back to Thessalonica to check on him. Is it reasonable if you were with somebody for three weeks, started a church, might send somebody back to check on them? Because you're concerned? Yeah. What are you concerned about? Well, deep down, if you break it down biblically, you're concerned about what you might read in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1, to where we'll all turn. You may not, like, articulate this in your head necessarily or in your in your words but i'll get to the punchline you're worried that these guys after three weeks are a bunch of rocky soil christians right that's what you were going to say right i was worried that those guys might be rocky soil christians so i sent timothy back to check on them you say well what's a rocky soil christian glad you asked chapter four verse one And again, he, Jesus, began to teach by the sea. And a great multitude was gathered to him, and so he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. And then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching. And again, this is where I said, we're not teaching anything earth-shattering or new. Many of you have heard these these words, but they, they bear emphasis today. He said, listen, behold... A sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on the stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop, but other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up increased and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable, and he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside all things must come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. You ever know some people just could hear the truth of God and it just do, they just don't get it? They might hear a parable and they just don't get it, right? And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So Jesus is implying here that, this, that understanding this, this parable is foundational to understanding his teaching. I think that's important. If you don't understand this parable, he says, how will you understand all the parables? He said, the sower sows the word. What's the the seed? The word of God. The seed is the word of God. There's a sower that goes out, right? The sower is the Lord, really. But he uses people like me, uses people like you to spread the word, right? The seed is is the Word of God. Now, I've explained this before. If I hold up a sunflower seed, it's got DNA in it, right? It's got everything it needs 
Catch this. The sunflower seed has everything it needs to produce fruit. Is there anything wrong with that sunflower seed? No. Does that sunflower seed need to be modified? No. Does that sunflower seed need to be dumbed down a little bit? No. no. That sunflower seed needs no modification whatsoever. Right? Now that seed gets thrown on four different kinds of soil. Right? Let's read on. So the sower sows the words. And the ones by the wayside where the word is sown, when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that it was sown in their hearts. So there's some seed that falls on the wayside, like on the trail. What do you know about the dirt on the trail? It's hard. Seed doesn't get in the ground, right? What's the soil of the, of a, of the wayside person represent? A hard heart, right? Now the sunflower seed, is there anything wrong with the seed? But a good seed on a hard heart does not bear fruit. Fair enough? That's the first kind of seed. None of you are that. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with gladness. But they have no root in themselves, and so they endure only for a time. Afterward, please notice this, Mark chapter 4, verse 17. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Other, other chapter, I believe Matthew says, when persecution arises because of the word, they stumble. This was Paul's concern for the Thessalonians. Hey, they sprung up immediately. In three weeks, man, they were, they, they received what we said. They said, this gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that we're all born into sin and Jesus Christ died on a cross to pay the price for our sin and Jesus rose from the dead to the living to overcome death and to make the way available for us by his grace to enter into heaven. Not only to enter into heaven eternally, but to live abundant life here on earth. Jesus did all of that. They recognized that in those three weeks. But Paul was concerned that after three weeks, they might be like that seed that fell on stony ground. Now, are those people saved? That's, not beyond, that's, that's beyond the scope of our speculation. So often I hear somebody talk about a parable like this, and they'll argue about whether the stony ground people are saved or not. To which I say, I don't care. I don't want to be one. Right? I don't want you guys to be one. There's only one soil type here that we want to be. There's four described. One is clearly not saved. Two, theologians can argue about as long as they want. And one is the one we all want to be like. Right? So Paul's concerned that these guys might be stony soil Christians. Now, how many different kinds of seed have we been talking about? One. Good. Very astute. Nice. Usually I have to ask a question like that twice. One kind of seed. How many kinds of soil? Four. Four. That's why we allow children in the room. 
for the tough questions. Four. Four types of soil, right? Now, we said the seed can't be changed. Work with me on this for a minute. We said the seed can't be modified. Can the soil be modified? Yes. How do you modify a soil? You might pull out the weeds. You might throw out the rocks. You might cultivate it. You might break it up with a shovel and soften it, right? That's the stuff we do. So anyway, Paul's worried that these guys have no root in themselves, and so they endure for a, for a time. And afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Can I tell you this? If we live biblically, we will encounter tribulation and persecution because we're living biblically. Set your clock by it. It will happen. It will happen. And we have to be the kind of people with the kind of soil that bears fruit anyway. Now, these are the ones he said, sown among thorns. So this is the third kind we're talking about. They're the ones who hear the word, and they receive it. But you know what these people have? See, these people are Americans. See, Jesus is talking to Hebrews, right? But he's really talking to Americans. Because these are the people who... Hear the word, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and can I just highlight this? The desire for other things. They enter in and they choke out the word and it becomes unfruitful. The cares of this world. Now, interestingly, we think of our world as like pretty... A lot of cares in this world, right? Well, Jesus is talking to people 2,000 years ago, right? Some things never change. If anything, you know, yeah, we have some cares of this world. They were tempting then, they're tempting now, right? The deceitfulness of riches. Riches can be deceitful. How are riches deceitful? They promise things that they don't deliver. That's the bottom line. Riches promise things that they don't deliver. Riches promise things that they don't deliver. There's one that I think we tend to overlook here. The desire for other things. You know, living life according to the Word of God, doing what it says, if we're honest with ourselves, does that feel just kind of vanilla sometimes? And there's a part of us that just wants to put like caramel and pecans and cookie dough pieces in our vanilla. Right? We just want a little bit more. But what we don't realize is we're getting a little bit less. It's very subtle. It's very subtle. The desire for other things. You see, I know that faithfulness, according to the Word of God, that's really where I need to be. But, you know, there's just something that's just, it just seems just kind of, there's got to be more than that. Right? Now, here's the thing about bearing fruit. 
We were talking to somebody earlier. Fruit doesn't bear just like that, right? Fruit bears over time. It's sometimes slow. It sometimes feels monotonous tending a garden. It's sometimes labor tending a garden. But it's bearing fruit. And I think we want to be the people that bear fruit for the Lord. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold, right? We don't want to be the hard soil, right? Nobody, I mean, there's no big theological challenge with that. We don't want to be the hard soil, right? But I think those other two, I think we need to be like pretty paranoid about. The rocky soil. Three weeks, church is awesome. Man, they're rocking and rolling. They're singing hallelujah. Whoa. Four weeks, eh, not quite as exciting. Four months, where are they at? That was Paul's concern. Why was that Paul's concern? Because he knows that's a biblical truth. He knows that there are people that are like that. Why am I concerned? Because I've seen it, and I know it's a biblical truth, and I know there are people that are like that. That's the rocky soil. The crowded soil, the thorny soil, right? Oh, yeah, that church, I mean, church is awesome. Worshiping the Lord is awesome. Learning His Word is awesome. Loving my wife like Christ loved the church. It's okay. Um, you know, uh, living faithfully day by day, yeah, that's, that's awesome, but there's got to be more than that. Right? But here's the thing about bearing fruit, right? I said fruit is long-term. You show me somebody that's been doing that, living that vanilla, fruit-bearing life over a period of time, it's rich. It's rich in a way that the world can never comprehend. And along the way, there are some that get it and some that don't. Paul's heart was that these people would get it. So, he wanted the, thorny, he wanted the Thessalonian church to not be Thorny soil, um, rocky soil, rocky soil. So there's hard soil, thorny soil, rocky soil, good soil. We want to be good soil. For in fact, verse, I'm sorry, verse three, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. So wait a minute, afflictions, really? Right? Remember we said the concern of the, of the rocky soil is that they might suffer tribulation. You know, when tribulation comes for the word's sake, they would immediately fall away. Right? And I said tribulation will come if we live biblically. Paul wants nobody to be, quote, shaken by, tri- by these afflictions. And I think one way to know that these are going to happen, one way to, one way to not be shaken when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word is simply to say, you know what? It's going to happen. You ever notice that? If you're sort of braced for something, right? It's a little easier to take, right? Yeah. You know, you look at a... You look at one of those, like, creepy... You guys don't watch these. You ever seen one of those creepy videos of, like, when the quarterback gets hit from the backside... Well, the blindside movie came out of, as a result of this, right? When the quarterback gets hit from the blindside, he didn't know it was coming right? And you just watch him buckle, and you're like, oh, that's got to hurt, right? Because he didn't know it was coming. He didn't brace himself for it, right? If I tell you, hey, 
affliction and persecution are going to come because of the Word. It helps you say, all right, I'm ready. Does that make sense? And let me just tell you, affliction and persecution is going to come because of the Word, right? You've heard me reference this before, but I'm going to read it again. Matthew chapter 7. Verse 24. Another, to me, these are so foundational that we've got to get them. Matthew 7, starting in verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, most important word in the verse right there is does, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Notice this. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them. So both, both groups now have heard these sayings of mine, according to Jesus. Right? You're all hearing these sayings of Jesus right now. Right? But we're either people who hear him and do them, or we're people who hear them and do not do them. If we're people who hear them and do them, guess what? Then we're, our life is founded on a rock. But to everyone who hears these things in mind and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. That house crashed, right? Now, again, I love the parallels with the parable of the sower. There's some things that are constants in these, in these things, Right? There's two groups of people here, right? How many groups of the people heard the word? I need a kid in the room. Both of them. Both of them. Two groups of people. Both heard the word. Hear these sayings of mine, he says. How many groups received the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house? How many groups got that treatment? Wait a minute, I didn't think Christians get that kind of stuff. Do Christians get that kind of stuff? Yes. Yeah, they do. What's the only difference? There's two differences. Number one, those who hear these sayings of mine and do them, they receive the same treatment, but the house doesn't fall. The other group, they hear these sayings of mine and they don't do them. The exact same storms come and the house crashes. See the point? Yeah. Right? Affliction and tribulation and persecution comes because of the Word. We would do well to brace for it. Yeah. How do we brace for it? We know the Word. Yeah. We ask God's Holy Spirit to fill us. Yeah. Because we know that greater is He who is in us than he who is in the world. First John tells us. And then we're equipped to handle whatever life, life would throw at us. Verse 4, For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know, right? Paul said, we told you, it's going to happen, and now you've experienced it. For this reason, I could no longer, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. Paul's great concern for these people would be that they were rocky soil Christians. Because he knew that there is such a thing as a rocky, soiled Christian. And his fear was that the Thessalonians would be such. 
Notice also, Paul seems emotional here for a minute, right? He said, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it. That's why he sent Timothy back, because he was emotionally involved in these people. Can I tell you another key principle of ministry? By the way, how many, I'm just talking to the ministers now. Another key principle of ministry is they're others-focused. They are others-focused. They are others-focused. You know, you listen to somebody talk for a while. Do they talk about others? Do they talk like Paul, their deep concern for others? Do you talk like Paul about your deep concern for others? I love, honestly, I've said it before, I love that about this body of believers that's gathered here. You all have a deep concern for one another. And I appreciate that. It's honestly very healthy. It's very healthy. We need to be others-focused. We need to labor, as Paul says, for one another. We need to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians tells us. We need to care about the spiritual well-being of one another. Now, are we responsible for the spiritual well-being of one another? No. We're all accountable to God for our spiritual well-being, right? We're all accountable to God for our spiritual well-being. But Paul here has a concern, has a burden for the spiritual well-being of others. And I believe that's a good model for us. His desire is that his labor is not in vain. We read last week, chapter 2, verse 1, he said, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. Paul knew that his labor really was not in vain. His coming was not in vain, right? He was being faithful to just do what he was supposed to do. But he's worried that his labor might be in vain. He wanted to see fruit from his labor. And that's that's a fair concern. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you, therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. And so here's another key principle. A minister is encouraged by the faithfulness of others. Do you realize when you're faithfully serving the Lord, It's not just you and the Lord. It's you and the Lord and the influence you have on others. It's the encouragement to others that it's possible to faithfully minister. You've heard me say before, I love love being around an older person who has gone through what I know are the challenges of life and still faithfully serving the Lord in their latter years. What does that tell me? It tells me it's possible tells me it's possible. I love to see people navigate the challenges of this life because it tells me that it's possible. I know biblically it's possible, but I get to see experientially that it's possible when I see other people do that, right? Ministry is never intended to be lived alone. Now, 
you say, well, I live alone. That's awesome. That's awesome. I was listening to Chuck Smith this week, and he's talking about, uh, he said, you know, you can go in your closet, and by prayer, you can travel all over the world. Right? You can go to Ukraine today, spiritually, and pray for those folks in Ukraine. Right? You can go all over the world. You can go places that you may not have the freedom to go physically. You may be able to have conversations that you don't have the freedom to have on this earth. Right? And so you can engage with others. And I would encourage us, as much as we're able to be a part of one another's lives, we should do that. Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise. Proverbs 18.1, The man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. The man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. The person who chooses to hide himself from the body of Christ or isolate himself from the body of Christ, that person misses out. That person misses out. Now, is that a plug for church? No. That's just a biblical truth. That's just a biblical truth. Now, are there extenuating circumstances and stuff like that? Totally, and I totally understand that, right? But we live in a world where we can engage one, one way or another, right? We can pray for people. You know, prayer, Trace and I were talking to some folks earlier, prayer is a very intimate thing. You know, prayer links us together yeah. in a supernatural way, yeah. right? Yeah. And we can pray in that way for one another. We can pray. We can be supernaturally connected with one another. Beyond our physical abilities. So that's the that's the that's the kind of life that Paul is experiencing. He said even though I'm down here in Athens and I sent Timothy back to you to check on your welfare, I'm super encouraged to hear back from him that you guys are doing well. I'm super encouraged. Now, if you'd like to be a rocky soil, shallow, superficial Christian who immediately falls away when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, can I tell you one key to do that? If you want to be that person, can I tell you one, one easy way to do that? Fall out of fellowship with the body of Christ. And then, just do what comes naturally. Do what's normal. Right? Do what's normal. Because the body of Christ is what? The body of Christ. Right? You've heard me say before, I'm a doctor. Right? 
I take out, you know, your, your kidney. You got two kidneys, right? Everybody with me so far? Most of us have two kidneys. We can have a lot of fun with this, but we won't. Most of us have two kidneys, right? Both of them right now are functioning just fine, right? If I take one of your kidneys out, set it over here on the table. Let's say I have a table here. Set your kidney over here on the table, right? And I in no way, shape, or form alter the composition of that kidney. What happens to it after a little while? It dies, right? Why does it die? It's removed from the body. It's removed from the body. Is that rocket science? Is that brain surgery? No, it's kidney surgery. Right? We are the body of Christ. Beautiful description in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I love, for the interest of time, I won't go through it. But let me just say this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20 and 21. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Right? And I love that whole description. Paul goes through it in great detail. You know, if we were all a hand, or if we were all an eye, if we were all an eye, where would the hearing be? If we were all an ear, where would, you know, the smelling be? If we were all a toe, where would the hands be, right? We are all a part of a body of Christ, and we are designed for fellowship. Paul's encouragement. Paul. You know, you think of Paul. Do you think Paul is an emotionally fragile guy? Like, who needs to be stroked all the time? Not really. Paul's a man's man, no doubt about it, right? But Paul is encouraged when he hears that these Thessalonians are doing well. That encourages Paul. That lifts his spirit. He goes on, he says, for, you, for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. So this is a bit of a responsibility verse, right? The faithfulness of the church brings life to Paul. Not just Paul ministering to them, but they ministering to Paul, right? Right now, I'm reading the word to you. I'm describing the word to you, right? But do you guys minister to me? Absolutely. All the time. Do we minister to one another by our faithfulness? Absolutely. That's how it works. That's how the body of Christ works, right? The kidney receives from some parts and it gives to some parts, right? That's how it works. Verse 9, for what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God? You know, blessing should always produce thankfulness. Let me just take this time to say this. It should produce thankfulness. He says, what thanks can we render to God to you, for you? for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God. Joy that comes from being a part of the body of Christ should produce thankfulness. Paul doesn't take the credit. Paul doesn't take the credit. Paul doesn't take the credit. Another principle of ministry, Paul doesn't take the credit. He offers thankfulness. 
Night and day, he says, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what, was, what is lacking in your faith. Here's another beautiful principle of ministry. There's always something lacking in all of our faiths, right? Anybody there yet? Anybody arrived, reached sort of that spiritual, you know, pinnacle that we're all going for, right? None of us are there. We can all acknowledge that none of us are there, right? And so there's always something lacking, and Paul can say night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking. What, what, what fixes those lacking pieces of our discipleship? One another. One another. Living by the Word, empowered by the Holy Spirit, encouraging one another in fellowship as the body of Christ. Again, is this like some crazy new theology we're talking about? No. No. It's basic principles of ministry. But if we look around, we acknowledge that these things are not altogether common. Right? Do we see it all the time that, the, that Christians work together faithfully, encouraging one another, living according to the Word, denying the flesh, empowered by the Holy Spirit, not worried about who gets credit, but just expressing thanks? Does the body of Christ work like that all the time? Not always. Not always. So we're just reminding ourselves of what the word says. He says, Now may, the God, may our God and Father himself and the Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. Another principle of ministry. Who does the directing around here? Well, during worship, Larry does the directing, and during teaching, I do the directing. Is that how it works? No. Who does the directing? God. 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 He says, now may the God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. I love what Paul told the Corinthian church, right? The Corinthian church was all fighting about, well, we follow Paulus. And, you know, some of us follow Paul. And some of us follow, you know, the super spiritual ones follow Jesus. Um, and Paul's like, what are we? We're just people that, you know, we're just God's servants. One of us plants and one of us waters, but it's God that causes the growth. It's God that causes the growth. I was with a group of pastors uh, a little while ago, and we were all talking about how we all kind of do different things. We all kind of have our own different styles, right? And I was talking with one of the guys, um, you know, is great with, like, prison ministry stuff. As soon as I say that, you probably know who I'm talking about. One of the guys is great with, like, strategic organization and, and you know, market analysis and all that kind of stuff, right? And I'm like in this, and I'm like, I'm just a guy that likes to teach the Bible. And, well, the guy that was the great market analysis guy, he's like, you know, my son had a basketball coach one time. I love this. This guy, his style's different than mine, but he's always been an encouragement to me. He, 
He said, my son had a basketball coach one time, and the coach told him, told each of the players, you just play your game. You just, whatever, you know, if you're a point guard, you be the best point guard you can be. Right? If you're a forward, you be the best forward you can be. If you're a center, you be the best center you can be. If, you're, if your thing is defense, you kill it on defense. Right? If your thing is speed, you run the fast break. You, do your, you, you play your game. And I love that. And basically what this guy's telling me is, right, you don't have to be all things to all, all people, right? If you like teach the Bible, guess what? Teach the Bible. Guess what I do? Teach the Bible. I love to teach the Bible, right? I love to teach. Now, if you ask me to, or all, you know, is, is, you know, being organized, is that a good thing? Am I organized? No. Right? Is that okay? Yeah. It's got to be, because that's what I am. Right? We just be who we are. We just be who we are. Don't lose sight of the fact that God directs the ministry. We just do our part. If our job is to plant, plant. If our job is to water, water. If our job is to dig up soil and, and plow up hard soil, dig it up, man. And, you know, and by the way, if there's soil that needs to be dug up, this, you know, sometimes we can be careful about this. We've got to be careful about this, too. If there's soil that's right in front of us that needs to be dug up, right? Don't be the guy say, hey, my job is to water. <laughs> Sorry. Right? Body of Christ does that a little bit, right? Right? And we don't want to let guilt trips on that because God directs all of that, right? Sometimes, you know, sometimes God will have somebody, some, sometimes God will have you back off of that so somebody else can have the privilege of doing that. So that's all okay too, right? Again, while I'm thinking about it, sorry, this is a tangent. Acts chapter 3 or 4, I forget which. Peter and John are going to the temple, right? There's a lame man that's been lame there for many, many years, right? And the day is appointed, I believe, in all of the host of heaven, for that guy to get up and walk that day when he's holding out, looking for money. Yeah. Remember the story? Yeah. Kids, remember the song? Yeah. We're going to sing the song? Yeah. No. <laughs> Peter, Peter holds out his hand. He says, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Right? Kids, what did, he, what did he do? He leapt. Right? Walking and leaping and praising God, the song says. Right? Now, he'd been there for how long? Long time. Think Jesus ever walked to the temple? Think it's possible that Jesus walked right past that guy? Maybe many times? You ever think about that? Jesus probably walked right past that guy many times. Right? And for whatever reason, as God directs, 
God decided that that was the day that that was going to happen on the day that Peter and John went to the temple. Right? Jesus, I believe, would have walked right past that guy every time he went to the temple. Right? So be careful about, well, this is my job, and that's your job, and that's not my job, and that's not his job. Just ask the Lord. Ask the Lord. Lord, would you direct? Right? He says, now may our God and Father Himself and the Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. God directs the ministry. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. I love that verse. I love that verse. Our relationship with the Lord should never be the same. It's not a constant. You ever notice that? You'll never love the Lord, I believe, exactly the same amount as you did a year ago. Right? I believe you're going to either be a little warmer or a little cooler this time next year. You hear that? You say, well, how can you be cooler? Well, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, riches, the desire for other things can make you a little cooler, right? I believe a year from now you're going to either be warmer or cooler. So he says, may the Lord make you. And who does that, by the way, in our lives? The Lord. May He make you increase and abound in what? In love. That's the principal fruit of the Spirit. To one another and to all as we to you. That's a great verse. The Lord does the work. So that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. So, we want God to establish us. The word for establish means to confirm or to turn resolutely, right? We want God to do that work in our hearts. We want Him, we want him to make us blameless in holiness. Now, does blameless, blameless does not mean perfect. Blameless means an accusation won't stick. I like that. It doesn't mean perfect, right? Blameless means just Walking uprightly so much so that an accusation doesn't stick. And blameless in holiness. Now, holiness is often misunderstood, right? We think of holiness as like squeaky cleanness. What it means is really that we want God to cause us to live according to His Word. Right? And let me just say this just briefly as we close. Sometimes we get the idea like grace and holiness are like somehow competing with one another. Right? Well, grace means I can kind of hang out with my buddies and do what I want because I'm under, the, I'm under grace, man. You can't touch me, man. Man. It's all good, man. Right? If I want to go do whatever I want to do with my buddies, it's cool because I'm under grace, man. Right? Holiness is like Wherefore art thou other guy over there that's out with all of his man friends? He's messed up, man. Right? We think that's holiness, right? Can I suggest grace causes holiness? If we get it right, if we get it right, grace causes holiness because grace says, 
I know who I am. I'm a loser, spiritually. I was born into sin. I'm, I've tried a million times to get it right on my own. And I'm so thankful that I'm saved by grace. I just want to live a life of thankfulness. And guess what? The more I live that life of thankfulness, the more I really don't care about doing what I used to do with my buddies. Right? And the more I walk in thankfulness, and the more I walk in grace, I don't want to do that stuff. I don't want to do that stuff. It's not like I'm trying to push the limits, like how much of that stuff can I do? Right? You don't want to be one of those people. Right? That says like, well, how much of this can we do and still be like Christians and all that? Right? Anybody, know a que- Anybody ever know a guy that asks a question like that? Good teacher. What must I do to be saved? Right? Let me paraphrase what he said. Good teacher, how much can I get away with and still go to heaven? Right? That's what the guy was asking, really, when it comes right down to it. Because Jesus said, you asked the wrong question. Right? We want him to establish our hearts blameless in holiness before God and Father. Before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. Now here's a little bit of a foreshadowing. Next week we get into a little more of the coming of Jesus Christ with all of His saints, right? As it kind of goes into the end of 1 Thessalonians and into 2 Thessalonians, he starts talking about when Jesus is coming back, right? Well, guess what? If I'm over here like trying to push the limits on how much can I get away with and still go to heaven, am I like looking forward to the day that Jesus comes back? Or am I hoping that maybe He'll come next year? You want to live your life like, hmm, hope He doesn't come back tonight because me and the guys are going out. You want to live life like that? No. No. We want to live like, if He comes today, awesome. If He comes a hundred years from now, awesome. I'll be ready anyway. Right? I mean, personally, I think he could come back today. I'd kind of like to grow old with my wife. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. Right? I want him to perfect, I want him to establish my heart blameless in holiness before God and Father, our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. I want to look forward to that. I want to be ready for that. I want my life to anticipate that. I want to do that as a minister and as a minister, as a part of the body of Christ. I want to encourage and be encouraged by the fact that we all are living like that according to His Word, according to the power of the Holy Spirit, all working together. So we want to be good Christians with good soil that bears fruit as God decides as God directs. 
We want to not be hard-soiled Christians. We want to not be distracted, weedy Christians. We, not, we need to not want to be shallow, rocky Christians. We nurture our hearts to be the fertile soil in the context of God's Word working in us as members of the body of Christ. And we get to the privilege of encouraging one another and being encouraged by the faithfulness of one another. That's the body of Christ. And it's a beautiful ministry. And we're all ministers. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. And we thank you that you give each of us a unique ministry that we call life. Lord, we thank you for the ministry that happens in our homes. Lord, we thank you today particularly for the ministry of mothers. Lord, we thank you for the ministry that seems so obvious to us. And we thank you for the ministry that seems like slow-growing fruit. Lord, we thank you for the encouragement of one another's ministry. We thank you for the encouragement of the body of Christ. And Lord, we ask that you would do that work in our hearts. Lord, help us not to be hard-soiled. Lord, would you please plow the ground of our soil? And even, Lord, maybe, maybe, there's, maybe there's hard places in our hearts that we don't even realize are hard. Lord, would you please do that work that you need to do in our hearts to plow up what needs to be plowed? And Lord, would you please remove those rocks so that we can have depth, so that your seed can go deep into our hearts and bear fruit. And Lord, please, 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 as we live in this culture, would you please protect us from the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things that choke out your word. Lord, we don't want your word to be choked out. We want to bear fruit. We want to be, bear fruit that would bring glory to you and we want to bear fruit that would bring encouragement to others. And so, Lord, have your way with us, please, as we navigate this life this week. Help us to live according to your word. And we'll give you all the praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Everybody have an awesome, awesome week.